Well, it's a privilege to open God's Word with you again. I encourage you to open to John, the Gospel of John. Uh, We're going to feast from John's Gospel again this morning. We're looking at those distinct I am statements that Jesus makes about Himself. He uses these pictures, metaphors, uh, that show His disciples and really show all who have ears to hear uh, who He is, who He is for us. One commentator I read this last week said the I am statements in, in John's Gospel are like a pocket guide to understanding Jesus. Oh, I think that works. We can learn a lot. We've learned that Jesus is the true vine, that all spiritual life and nourishment is found uh, in Christ. And even our ability to bear fruit Fruit that's pleasing to God uh, comes from Him. He's the true manna in the wilderness. In this wilderness, not just the wilderness so many years ago in the Sinai Peninsula, but this wilderness, He is the true manna. He is the bread of life that feeds us and sustains us. And last week we went to the table and we were able to to commune with our Savior who's actually feeding us in, in faith. Um, so the metaphors are powerful, and I think we run a little bit of a risk when we look at these I am statements. Um, if, we don't, if we don't talk about the picture, and we don't explain it at all, well then we can, we can misunderstand it, we can misapply it. While at the same time, if we talk about it too much, and explain it too much, it loses its oomph. It actually loses some of its power um, in, in the message that's uh, being conveyed. Um, so I want to try to strike a balance here between explanation and just wonder at these I am uh, declarations that Jesus makes. So the next statement we're going to look at is in John chapter 8. It's um, one verse, John chapter 8, verse 12, and then a few more in chapter 9. And at this point in John's gospel, uh, the opposition to Jesus is really uh, growing. Uh, the Jewish leaders are out to get him. Uh, at the same time, Jesus is spending most of his time north, up in, up in Galilee. Um, the people are coming to him. People are seeing him do some pretty amazing things. Um, in fact, they're, they're communicating to Jesus, you know, Jesus, you need an audience. Uh, this, this could really, this is kind of the beginning of chapter 7 in John, but you know, there, there are some things happening here that people need to know about. You know, kind of this... Viral video. This could go viral, Jesus, if you just went down to Jerusalem. I mean, now is the feast. Everybody's there. You need to be there. And Jesus tells them, no. No, I'm not going to the feast. Uh, He knows the hearts of men. He knows what they want to do. And His hour to suffer unto death has not yet come. But then Jesus does go down to the feast. But he sort of he goes in 007 style where he's you know in private nobody can really see him the guys who are trying to find him can't um, until right in the middle of this feast he stands up in the temple and he starts to preach Jesus is a preacher he has a message with a mission so you're not going to keep him quiet for long um, I heard a quote from Steve Lawson uh, just the other day he was promoting some new material on the Puritans it looks like a great series. And he said the problem with preaching or with preachers today is that no one is trying to kill them. Oh, you think that's funny? Uh, problem with preachers, no one trying to kill them. You know, that's a little disconcerting. 
but I get it. I get it. There is a message to be heard. Um, a message that must be heard. If the preacher is not willing to die for what he's saying, why would you listen to him? Why would you? Um, Jesus knows. They're, they're trying to, to find any excuse they can to kill him. He knows it. But he's going to keep bringing these words of life. And if he is the life, then they're his words. So the people are confused here. As we lead up to you know, John chapter 7 into John chapter 8, there's a lot of confusion. They're living in these you know, makeshift tents for this feast in Jerusalem. And here's Jesus preaching in the temple. And some are saying, whoa, this is amazing. Are you hearing what this man is saying? He could be the Christ. And the others are going, well, isn't, isn't that the guy they're trying to kill? And they're not taking him now? He's right there. Um, so there's this, this back and forth. Some are astounded and some are just thinking this, this makes no sense. Um, so the, the background is set here uh, with this feast. Typically on the first night of the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, and it, likely each night of the feast, they would take these very large candles. They may, may have been like the candelabras you'd find um, in the temple. And they, they would light these candles in the court. So it would illuminate this courtyard around the temple. And that's the backdrop when Jesus says these words in John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the, the Pharisees latch on to, well, how can Jesus tell you this? He can't testify to himself. Um, I want us to latch on to what Jesus has just said. Because he's going to say it again just a little bit later in chapter 9. So there's a clear link between uh, these, these words, I am the light of the world, in chapter 8, and the deed of this light of the world in chapter 9. So here's the, the first seven verses of chapter 9. You can follow along there. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, He spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then He anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So He went and washed and came back seeing. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would illumine our understanding in these moments. We need your help, O oh God. How exciting and terrifying it is at the same time to proclaim your word. May it be spoken faithfully. May we be attentive in these moments. That you might show us more of yourself. That you indeed are the light of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think light is likely the most well-known symbol, especially a religious symbol in all of human existence. Uh, 
in almost every culture, every place, the world over, light is used to describe or to associate with goodness and purity or some sort of God, some sort of deity. It was true in the ancient world. You know, the, the Egyptian god Ra, the, the, the god of the sun, um, the energy behind this light uh, was supposed to be under his control. It's just as true today. I mean, those uh, trapped in, in a Buddhist worldview see the light as teaching, as wisdom. Um, the light guides understanding. And for the Hindu uh, people, light is purity, it's bliss, it's divine power. And for the, for the animist, which I think is, is perhaps the oldest belief system, it has old and new variants. The light itself has agency. Um, just like any other person or thing, the light can be interacted with. We hear contemporary artists singing presumably to you know, someone who is no longer with us. Let the light guide your way. Hold every memory as you go. So light versus darkness. Good versus evil. It's the light we seek. The light that we trust in. The light we want to follow. So when the disciples and the other Jews around Jesus hear, him, hear this language that He's the light of the world, there's a lot of, a lot of data points, a lot of connection that could be made with the story of God's redeeming work in the history of Israel. So the language of light could, could resonate with anyone hearing this word, but the focus here, the focus of this gospel is strongly uh, Jewish. It's their story. It's their history and then perception of light that Jesus is speaking into. We hear, in the beginning, let there be light. There is light in the, the flaming torch and fire pot that seals the covenant between the Lord and Abram. The Lord speaks to Moses, right? From the, from the fire and light of the bush, the mountain, and the tabernacle. It's the light of God's presence that goes before the people. The psalmist sings, The Lord is my light and my salvation. In your light we see light, is another one of the psalms. The prophet Isaiah says, The servant of the Lord will be a light to the nations. So the God of Israel is the light. He shines upon His people and for His people. So when Jesus you know, makes this claim, He's com communicating something pretty strongly. And then he, he proves this by healing a man born blind. But what do we need to see in these words? What does Jesus want us to see by identifying Himself this way? Uh, by giving sight to the blind. Uh, the first thing that, that we see in these verses, uh, the question that the disciples have, it's really a question about calamity. Um, we might even say it's a question about darkness, right? Jesus, why is this man in the dark? And then the disciples are making an, an assumption, a popular assumption that's reinforced by the teachings of the Jews, by their oral teaching in the Midrash, that it's either a man's sin or the sins of his parents that resulted in this blindness. This was God's punishment, His judgment upon this man for sin. So which is it, Jesus? And it's important for us 
to hear because whether we like to admit it or not, this is our question a lot of the time. It is sort of our mode of operation. Uh, Good things happen to those who are doing good. Bad things happen for those who are doing bad things. That, that's our initial judgment. We think, well, you know, if, if, if they would have thought this all the way through, then this probably would have turned out differently or something like that. Uh, well, th- this is in their family. I, I kind of expected this to happen. You could see this coming. Do you hear the question? What happened? Whose fault is this? Um, and we, we tend to make that assessment much faster for others than we do for ourselves. But we're still asking the question, what did they do? What did I do that would be the cause for this? So here's where we let let the Bible, let Jesus correct us. Because no, it's not this man's sin, it's not the sin of his parents that caused this blindness. And Jesus is not denying that that suffering and, and disease and all of those things can be the result of personal sin. And God's created order, rebellion against him has consequences. And that ultimate consequence is death, lasting darkness, if we want to make that, that spiritual connection. And we may suffer for our own sin, we may suffer for the sins of others. I mean, Israel in the wilderness, great example. The, de- the decisions of parents affect their children. We know this from our own experience as parents and as children. Decisions affect us. But it's not always the case. We can't always make that one-for-one correlation between the pain, the trial, the suffering, and some sort of action or inaction on our part uh, or somebody else. I mean, we live, we live in the shadow of the curse. Uh, in a world broken by sin, that the darkness lingers where there are still really stinky things that happen. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus says. There's this trial, this pain. It, it may be the hand of, of discipline from a perfect father. It may just be a really hard part of life, living in a fallen world that keeps us on our knees, dependence upon God. It keeps us, keeps us longing, longing for, that, for true humanity, longing for the beauty and goodness of life that is to come. The Lord uses that. He uses all types of hurt, all pain in the life of His children. Not because He enjoys inflicting the pain, but because He knows the, the, the love and relationship that we've been made for. What we is we really need. Um, one of my professors, dear pastor, he shared a story I'll, I'll never forget. He was sitting in the hospital uh, with a family, and, and the son was very ill. He was not doing well at all. And this, this pastor friend walked with the son's father down one of the, the hallways. And he turns, the, the man, the father turns and, and looks at him, and his face is just downcast, and he says, it's my fault. It's my fault. Um, the Lord is, it's, it's, because of what I've, it's because of my sin that this is happening to my son. His pastor turned to me and says, no, no. God is not punishing your son because of your sin, because he's already placed your sin 
upon his son. Father in heaven does not punish his children. He does not judge them. He will prune. He will will discipline. But he will not punish for sin. The consequence for our sin, brothers and sisters, has been paid. That consequence is death. And Jesus has died. It's done. That's in the past. There's no more punishment for sin. So this, this road of discipleship, this wilderness journey, it's going to require dying. We will die to self. We'll be putting our sin to death. But it's, it's, sin has it's, it's ultimately been defeated. Um, Satan is fighting a losing battle. He knows it. He knows it. Because the tomb of Christ is empty. Death defeated. Darkness driven away. For the children of God. But we're still we're still in the shadow. So our trials, our suffering, I don't I don't say this lightly because some of you are there. You're there right now. You're facing some hard things. You don't know why, you don't understand it. We we may never understand it. But the Lord is near. Even when it feels like he's really far off, he's near. And we can't see it. When this when this blind man, who's near? Jesus is near to this blind man. Closer than he's ever been. In his suffering, in his blindness. Here's something to consider. Usually if, usually if a person is under the hand of discipline, if the Lord is chastising us, we'll, we'll often have a pretty good idea of what it is that, that, that's being corrected we we'll really have a pretty good idea. And if we have this understanding, then, then that's, that's when it's time to repent. That's when it's time to turn to the Lord, return to our first love. He gives us that understanding. If we don't have any understanding at all, and, and we don't often see ourselves clearly this way, we need others to come alongside us. But if we don't see any, any need to repent, we're really struggling with that, then it may not be the direct discipline from the Father. It may be that, that the Lord is allowing this trial to, to grow us, to show us His strength, to show us His kindness. Think of Joseph, his experience at the hands of his brothers, where that took him. Think of Job. What a wonderful example here. What Jesus is, is, is communicating. Did Job lose his family? Did he lose his health? Did he lose his livelihood because he sinned? No, quite the opposite. Job is walking in obedience to the Lord and the response of his friends is just what we see in the disciples. What did he do? What did you do, Job? You've got to repent. You've got to turn. Something needs to be done. No, this this came upon Job that the devil would be silenced. The works of God would be displayed in Job and in this man born blind. So Jesus responds to this question it's a question of calamity. And he responds with himself. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So here's Jesus meeting this man in his darkness, in his time of trial and need. 
He is the light that this man needs physically, the light he needs spiritually. And 8 verse 12 said that those who follow Jesus will have the light of life. So this light of the world is the light of life, which seems to fit so well with who Jesus says he is. And we know that he's the life-giving water, that we've learned that he's the life-giving bread. Here he's the life-giving light. Jesus is the very reality of what it is that people are celebrating in Jerusalem at this feast with the candles burning. He is their deliverer. He is the one who leads them in the wilderness, who provides for them. And yet so many are going to reject him. This is how John opens his gospel. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Jesus is present with his disciples. He's present with this man in his blindness. And because he's there, it's time to be about the work of the Father. It's time to do something. Chapter 5 says, my Father is working until now, and I am working. Okay, it's certainly no coincidence that Jesus will heal this man of blindness on the Sabbath day. We read that a few verses later in chapter 9. Here's a day made for man. A day to rest in the good work of God. Think how amazing this is. Think of the burden that's going to be lifted. Think of what darkness will be driven away. What rest this man will enjoy by the work of God on this day. Jesus is near. He's here for this man. He's willing to help. He's here for you. He's here for me. He's near in our time of need. He's willing to help. He will walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death, the shadow of darkness. The psalmist tells us that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. It's usually in those moments of of suffering, of greatest pain, that Jesus is most precious to us. We know His presence and His kindness like we've never known before. I mean, a brother was sharing just this last week. It was in times of, of prosperity and just cruising along, living for the moment. They didn't really see a need for Jesus. That his relationship with Christ was, I mean, there wasn't any, any deepening happening there. But when the trials came and when the hurt was acute, then the love and the kindness of God was magnified. So as Christians, that day will come. Many of you can, I mean, you're there. You can say this already. Looking back at the difficulties, at those painful circumstances, it was so painful. It was so hard. But God was so good. He was so faithful in those moments. You may be there right now where the Lord is just pulling you closer. Wrapping you up in the middle of the hurt. So Jesus is well aware of his his mission here. That the day, the time for his saving works on earth uh, was not long. I wonder if we have that same awareness. 
the time between now and our eternal inheritance with the Lord is not long. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of His patience. I mean, there is good work to be done. So let's not miss this day's opportunity to show God's love, witness to His grace. See, Jesus included His disciples in this work. That's in verse 4. We're the works of God that we're to be about. This is, you know, Jesus is showing us it's works of mercy. It's coming alongside those in need. Extending a helping hand. It's, it's simply doing good. Works of service in our community. Creation care is the good work that God has entrusted. Works of stewardship. Using your gifts. Maintaining, upholding the faith entrusted to it. It's, it is intentional acts of worship and being worshipful in our acts. These are the works of God in the day that He's given to us. So a question of calamity, Christ in the midst of calamity, uh, and then we see calamity conquered. Um, word and deed go together. I am the light of the world, Jesus says, and let me show you. Verses 6 and 7. So he mixes mud with his own saliva there, puts it on the man's eyes. Go wash in the pool of Siloam which means sent, so he went and washed and came back seeing. Now you can search uh, all the New Testament and you will not find another example of someone other than Jesus who heals the blind. You won't find it. Um, not one of the apostles, not one of those magicians. Um, giving sight to the blind is something that God does. It is It is. It is activity of the Messiah. The Old Testament is, is really clear on that. Isaiah 29. In that day, this is the visitation of the Lord from the prophet Isaiah, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. And just a few chapters later, in the coming of the Lord, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, ears of the deaf unstopped. And shall the lame man leap like a deer, the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Again, chapter 42 of Isaiah. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind. This is the work of God. This is a sign of His presence and power, something only He can provide. And He's doing it right here through Jesus. Healing the blind is... I mean, it's the miracle we find most common for Jesus. Why? Because He's the light. He's the light in the darkness. The light of truth has come to give new life. I mean, this man has only known blindness. Just put yourself in that position for just a moment. I mean, it certainly ramps up the, the effect of the miracle that Jesus performs. But you know, it's not this man's obedience. Was this man dancing around waving for Jesus? No, we don't read any of that. It's not the special waters of this pool that bring healing. It's Jesus. I like how intentional John is in providing the name of that pool. And this is that the water flowed you know, into Jerusalem from the southeast on an open canal, which was called the uh, Siloa or Sender. Uh, so the water gathered in the pool on the south side of the city where those who were sick could go and wash, others could, could bathe there. So Jesus is sending this man to the sent water. 
God the Father has, has sent His Son. Jesus is the sent one, and now He's doing the sending. Sending this man in his darkness to receive the light of life. So this physical sign, such a beautiful pointer to that spiritual reality. Blind from birth. We are blind, spiritually blind from birth, in complete darkness. Dependent upon Christ to drive away the darkness of our sin. Open the eyes of our hearts to repent, follow Him in faith. That's our need. That is His grace. The glory of God would be displayed in us. God is glorified in restoring what is broken and giving light, sight to the blind, giving life to those who are dead. We, we, need to, we, we can spend a lot of time focusing on ourselves um, and what it is we think we need. Um, you know, that, that's what the disciples are here immediately. You know, well, what is it about this guy? What has he done? What does he need? And certainly, I want us to acknowledge that God, God comes to our rescue. It's our need. He saves us. He saves us for our, our greatest need. We need the light. We need life. But consider the grace of God unto salvation. Much, much more about Him than it is about you or about me. Yes, our salvation is about us, but it's more about His grace and mercy. The Lord doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need to save any of us. But He does so out of His infinite love and mercy. The light we have, the salvation that's been given to us, it's about Him and His glory. We are saved for the glory of His grace. I think we need to hear this. Some of us will come, some of us will come to church on Sunday mornings, maybe even this morning, with a focus on what it is we think we need. What will I get out of this time? What will benefit me? And so we come looking for, expecting some feeling from this time, or maybe some, you know, some nugget from the sermon that we can take for the week and it will, it will make life just a little bit, make, make sense out of life, make things a little bit easier, a little more secure, a little more comfortable. Um, that may happen in God's kindness. But the focus of our time here is not on me, it's not on you. What it is we think we need? It's on Christ, the glory of God in Jesus Christ. So if you want to leave here with some, some encouragement, with something to apply, with some practical helps, then consider the work of God in you. The works of God in saving you. Utterly blind. Walking in darkness, opening your eyes to the light of truth. That is a miracle. It is a miracle. By the light of the world, you are a living, breathing, walking example of calamity conquered. Praise God for that. Let all the peoples praise Him for that. Amen. 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 Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The light makes a difference, folks. It changes us. We see the world anew. We may, we may see it for the first time, really. When our hearts and minds are illuminated by the light of Christ. Um, there's a pair of glasses 
Maybe you've heard about these. You can purchase them for, for children and adults. This is not the pair of glasses, but they look like this. They're sunglasses. Are you all still there? I, I think you are. It's kind of hard to tell. Um, but for those who have a color blindness, usually a red-green color blindness is the most common. The folks can't make out those shades, and so the combinations like orange and yellow, they just can't see. They're just kind of a, a dark brown, gray. And then they're handed a pair of these glasses, called Enchroma glasses, that help filter and, and amplify um, those, those colors. And the response is universal. see before, but now they can really see the colors. And so with, with tears streaming down their face, they can see the world like they've never seen it before. This man is questioned by the religious leaders how he came to receive his sight. He said it couldn't be Jesus, he's a sinner like everyone else. Man says, I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that I was blind and now I see. That I can tell you. That I do know. I was blind and now I can see. This man shared simply, confidently what it is he knew. And he could see. After washing, this man, he goes home or goes, goes back to the area. Jesus wasn't there anymore. He knew nothing of Jesus except that he had healed him of his blindness. So the Pharisees cast him out. Jesus comes to him again and asks him a very important question about his sight. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? This man answered, who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe and worshiped. Do you see? Do you really see? That's the question Jesus is asking. Yes, Lord, I see. The light has been given to me. I believe it is you who has given it. You are the light of the world. Do you see with a heart of faith? Has your heart responded to Christ that way? When you've been given the light of life, I mean, you, you see yourself for who you really are before God. You see God in His, His kindness, His forgiveness, His grace. And you must do as this man does. You must worship. And you, you may not know. You may not know everything there is to know about Jesus. You may not have every thread of your doctrine figured out. But we can share what we know. We can share what Jesus has done for us. 
The Apostle John, uh, later in, in his love letter to the churches, he says that God is light, and in fellowship with Him, we are in the light. Paul calls the adopted of God children of light who are no longer walking in the darkness. So Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father in glory, but He's still the light of the world. But it's a light that's now shining through you and through me. Reflected, conveyed through those who love Jesus and serve Him with every day. So the sent one has sent us. Now this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. We, we, know, we know the tune and the call is strong to you and to me to show forth the mercy and the grace of our God in a dark and dying world. In union with the Lord Jesus, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. Father, it is your glory. Uh, it is for your glory that you have saved us. Oh, what love, what infinite mercy and kindness, what a miracle and multitude of miracles are on display in this room at this very moment that you would save us that you would come to us in our blindness and give us sight. Lord, what a powerful picture you have given in these words, I am the light of the world. Lord, may we be faithful ambassadors as the light of the world, as you fill us. May more come to see you and your glory. We pray this. In the name of the light and for his sake, amen.